the Staff and Graph podcast. This is weird. My lock's been drilled, so I open the door and my steering wheel is missing. Inlinks are salad. You know what? You're trying very hard not to get sued. You can have all the talent in the world skating around, but if you don't have a goaltender, it does not matter. Team tidy business, baby. Well, Rachel, Columbus Blue Jackets, they need a new jam. They do. They we sure were not do. even going to do this today, and then we woke up and thought we'd been pranked. Well, you know, I'm not sure about being pranked. It's more of, well, there's a great, uh, there's a great tweet that I saw. It was the first thing I saw about the news. You know, you wake up and as much as I shouldn't do it, I open Twitter, you know, you roll bad. over the That's worst, bad habit. <laughs> the worst possible habit you can possibly have. But it's, it's old hat from when, you know, I was working and I, my job was to cover literally every little bit of news that happened. And so I wake up every morning in a cold sweat thinking everything had happened when I was asleep. So I'd literally snap myself awake, roll over, look at my phone. The first thing, just like go on Twitter to see if any, I'd missed anything. Thankfully, don't have to do that anymore. Um, but the first tweet I saw was a quote tweet of the news that Jarmo Kekalainen has been fired by the Columbus Blue Jackets after 11 seasons and one playoff victory or playoff series victory. He was he was GM for 11 seasons and a day and a half. He was hired February 13th <laughs> of 2013. What a great work anniversary! Just like you're at It's like dumping someone on their on your anniversary. I like I remember when I used to work in New Jersey every day. They would send company-wide emails. This person's yes. anniversary. This person's anniversary. This person's Every company does that. When I worked at Cushman and Wakefield, they did that. Like well, every Vancouver real company. didn't do that. Or maybe they did it and Hockey Ops just was never on the emails. Yeah. Well, every real company does that. Let me put it that way. The last <laughs> company I worked for did not do that, obviously. They probably but didn't like, even know. They didn't even know. But so I look at it and the first quote was a quote from The Simpsons. And it was a reporter. And the, <laughs> the reporter's question is, why now? Why not 20 years ago? You know, because that's and it's a great quote from from The Simpsons, but it's true because you go, why now? Why not six months ago? Why not six months ago? Well, even no, because okay, wow. he, he hired because Yarmulke client hires Mike Babcock and the guy doesn't even make it to the first practice, informal practice at the when team. When those holds. rumors came out. Yeah, it should at have been the beginning done. of June last year, which was nine months ago. That should have been it. Yeah. That should however, been however, that's not the way hockey works. We know that. So. They, they, uh, he hires him, but it fails spectacularly. Like the worst, I would say the most, like we've been Go over this. Go back and listen to yeah. last week's episode titled I'm Blue Jackets. Was that last week? February 5th. Man. That was last that was 10, Monday. That was 10 days ago. Yeah. Last yeah. Monday. Go back. Highly recommend Crazy. it. Because we did a deep dive into the Blue Jackets. Mm -hmm. And we talked about where they kind of go from here and everything that's gone on and Yarmo being at the helm for all of it and whether or not firing just him is going to change. It's going to change anything now. And 10 days later, mm -hmm. he's gone. So they, I, I was like, I'm wondering like why now and all that. And, and because back when Mike Babcock, it was the most, like we, like I said, we've been over this. It was the most uh, unsuccessful, biggest failure of a coaching hire. I think in NHL history, absolutely. He didn't given, even get the training camp. Given the context of the hiring, given the reason why he was blacklisted in the first place, or like the reason why he was sent out into hockey obscurity in the first place, and then the reason behind the firing and the timing, all of that culminates in the most 
you know, in, in the worst, most cataclysmic failure of a coaching uh, tenure in, in NHL history. Um, and so I go, he should have been fired then. Like they should have fired Mike Babcock. And then also like, it should have been one press release. They yeah. relieve Mike Babcock and Yarmo Kekalainen of their duties. However, they let this bleed into the season. And as we covered on that extensive deep dive, this season has been a disaster for, for the, the, the Blue Jackets. Not just from a standings perspective, for, but from a no one will ever want to play for us right now perspective. From mishand, like almost driving out all of their prospects perspective. You know, from wasting, uh, from wasting the potential of their, like I said, their stable of prospects and all that. And yet then they, then they wait until February 15th, the day after Valentine's Day. I'm glad they let him have his day, the day of love, I guess. Cool. And then they fire him. It makes no sense. Well, it makes some sense in the sense that they don't want him, obviously, and we've been talking about this, to run the trade deadline. Yeah. So when you, I never understand this and you and I talk about this all the time. Mm -hmm. When you have a GM who's desperate for their job, it's not like a Kyle Dubas situation last year. If he wanted to stay, he was going to stay. Kyle Dubas, it was more of like, like the, he wasn't I'm going go to go desperation mode to keep his well, job. No, he was more like, I'm going to go to Pittsburgh, so might as well swing for the fences. And then if it doesn't work out, cool, I got a cushy new sport, uh, Pittsburgh job. But what I'm saying is, like, if yeah. you have a GM where, like, Jim Benning is a good example. Oh, yeah, where every year he's trying to save his job. Exactly. If you have a GM where basically they're trying to save their job, they're in self-preservation mode. And that is not what you want your GM to be in when they're executing trades. Mm -hmm. So I think Columbus got it right in the sense of you don't want, if you were intending to fire him in the offseason anyways, you don't want him running your deadline. No, definitely because not. That, But, but, if you're going to fire a GM four weeks out from the trade deadline, you need to have a coherent plan for who is going to replace him. Well, they have a coherent plan. Because last time I checked, John Davidson has never been a GM. And we should probably talk about a little bit, uh, talk a little bit about what a president of hockey operations does versus a GM. Because those are two very different jobs. Mm -hmm. And yes, you're the top of the hockey ops department, but you're not doing the day-to-day -day stuff. And so we've definitely gone over this on the podcast before is the difference between a GM and a, and a president of hockey operations. Like I know we have, but it's important to maybe go over it a little bit again, just because like you said, like we, John Davidson has had a, you know, 25 year career in hockey, more than that. And he has never, ever been a GM. He has only been a president or a president of hockey operations. He's never been a GM. He's been a P or a POHO. Exactly. And so, <laughs> and, and now he, this is his job to sort of lead the, or he's, he's taking over as interim GM, I guess. And he's going to lead the, the blue jackets through the rest of the cataclysmic season that they're on right now. And what potentially search for a new GM when he should be someone who goes as well. Yeah. Like I look at this and I go, like as a president of hockey operations, and I worked for, I worked for a team that had a poho and a GM. Mm -hmm. uh, when I got there, when I was originally hired, it was just a president, and then yeah. we got a GM. But like, you're, you meet with the GM every day. Like your offices are basically right beside each other. You're constantly talking about the direction of the team. But the GM is the one that's communicating with other GMs, communicating with agents, whereas the poho is communicating with the owner, who would be Dr. John McMullen in this case. I think, or no, that might be the devil's old owner. Anyway, it's a, it's a mix something in Columbus. So he's communicating with the owners. He's worried about um, the business side of it. So he's meeting with the actual president of the Blue Jackets business operations. Uh, if they need a new practice rink, he's doing that. If mm -hmm. they need a team 
partnerships. So, like, let's say they wanted to partner with Ohio State for something. He would be in those mm-hmm. meetings. Whereas the GM is, like, calling up other guys for trades. Yeah. And they actually have a few trade chips that I think would be quite interesting. Well, the GM also will go door-to-door canvassing for a new arena, right? That too. Yeah, 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 that happens. It goes, hello, my name is uh, GM of the local NHL team, and I can count on you for your vote for Bill whatever, right? Yeah. That, that's normal for a team. Absolutely. Um, so I look at this and I go, Boone Jenner, for example, <laughs> is a guy. NHL all-star Boone Jenner. Is a guy where you can't tell me that contending teams wouldn't line up for a guy like Boone Jenner. They'll the pay whole- way too much for it, but they will. But that's what I mean. Yeah. Like, Columbus could get a haul to add to their stable of already ridiculously talented prospects if they traded Boone Jenner. But should John Davidson, who has never been a GM before, who is going to lead the process to find a new GM, is that the guy that should also be making the trades? Or should you maybe have somebody else doing that because that might be too much for one guy's plate? The Blue Jackets, yeah, well, obviously you should be having, like, like, I think the days of having a president and a GM be the same person are gone. Sometimes, like, some teams don't even have a president of hockey operations. Mm-hmm. They have a GM and then they have a president of, like, the like team. Like the team, yeah. But I think that, Which is fine. I think those days are kind of gone because we've seen, we've, every time they're, like, we've seen in recent memory guys who've tried to do both jobs and it's failed. It's failing right now in Pittsburgh with Kyle Dubas. Do you remember when? And do you remember the days when we were younger when there Pat, was what, Pat Quinn was coach and GM? And GM. That's insane to think about. That, there's a reason Bill why Belichick was pres or, or coach yeah. and GM until a month ago. There's a reason why he was like the last one it's because it was. He's also the goat. <laughs> yeah, he's the goat, but it also failed spectacularly towards the end. Like, yes. like, like they they do not work. You have too much yes. to do. <laughs> too much to do, and also the you have to be able to separate relationships as a coach and as a GM. Like if you're yeah. trying to reach someone as a coach and I guess Belichick was able to sort of separate that, I would, I would say like walk this line for years, but it's like you have to, you can't be, you can't be a player putting your trust in a coach because players talk to coaches about like personal stuff, man. Like they go and they'd be like, Hey man, I'm be feeling, I don't know, like depressed lately or, you know, this I'm is not going well. Or, home, exactly. Or you know, I, here's a fun one. I drank and drove and I need you to get stuff like that. Yeah. You know, and so that's happened. Of course. And you can't, but then like to say that to a guy who's your coach, but then also that guy has the power to trade you, to cut you, to wave you, to buy you out. Like you, you can't, you can't do that. Um, But if you look at Columbus, like as much as we spent an entire podcast talking about, talking about how terrible the situation is there, they're set up. This is an extremely, extremely, uh, uh, appetizing job. Absolutely. It's got to be one of the most... You look at what they have. They got Adam Fantilli. That's a top-line center. You got David Yerichek. That's a, a top-pairing D. You, you got Kent Johnson, Cole Sillinger, Kirill Marchenko, uh, you know... Yegor and, Chinahov. Exactly. Patrick Liney, Johnny Goudreau, like... Emil, like, Emil Benstrom, Adam, Bo- Adam, Adam Boquist. There's so many really enticing pieces in Columbus, but what I think I'm most interested to see, because very clearly we're not going to get a GM hire anytime soon, which obviously I think is the wrong choice, but what I'm interested to see is how Pascal Vincent now handles his roster, because the other night... Well, they have a lot, yeah. Okay. Boone Jenner played 26 minutes in regulation. That is more than most defensemen play in a game, and we're talking about a ceiling third-line player on a contending team. 
under no circumstances should a forward be playing 26 minutes in a game unless their name is Nathan McKinnon, Connor McDavid, or Austin Matthews. And even then, I went back and checked. I be- Last season, McDavid played 25 minutes, I think, like, eight times. He's the best player in the league. Look, like, Austin- You can't play that much time. Austin Matthews is the best pure goal scorer in the league right now. And yes. he sh- there's no way he should be playing 26 minutes. 22 Unless max. it's like, literally, unless it's like... You get two play- five power Unless plays. it's like playoffs, double OT. Like, literally, that's... Regulation That's it. Time. Regulation is crazy. But you look at the roster, they have a lot. A, like, they... they this is why they didn't want. This is clearly why they didn't want Kekalainen to run the trade deadline. A because he's been bad for most of his time there, but B because they have a lot. Like if they play this right, and again we don't. There's not a lot of faith with John Davidson because he's never had this job before. But if they play this right, they can they can also recoup. Like you said, they can set themselves up immensely in the future. I mean, you look at even some of their some of their guys that, that teams would covet, teams would want to trade for, like Jack Roslovic, for example. Absolutely. He's 27 you know, years old. He's a pending UFA. Full well, you know teams would cover, covet Eric Goodbranson. Full no. Absolutely. Like, but even I'm saying 100%. like Jack Roslovic. Absolutely. You could get at least a second round pick for that. You know, like considering that Sean Monaghan just got a first. I love and, Jack and a, and a prospect. Fantastic. If you play that well, like if you retain salary on that and they can, they have the cap space, then you get, then that's, that's Sean or that's Jack Rossley for two mil pro rated. Like you can get a first for that if you want to. So what I was Boone saying, Jenner, about- that's a first out. If you want to give up on him now, text, uh, text here, but Sean, excuse me, Sean Corrali. Like, you know, then you, then you even well, no, go, I don't think you can get anything for Sean Corrali. Cause like, he's you don't think awful so? this okay. year. But what I want, what even I was saying like is Ivan like, Provorov, I want, K- Erica Branson, Andrew Peak. You're like, not getting shit for Ivan Provorov right now. I hate to break it. Teams, to teams will nope. do it. Teams will do it. You're not getting anything for him right now. What I was going to say is two more I'm, years left. Teams will do it. Nope. You retain salary. Teams will do it. So I'm curious what, Pascal Vincent does now because when he got hired, we were like, "Oh, he's a guy that's known for development." Yeah, he's that's being like the what AHL. he does. Yeah, right. He was really good with young players, and then all of a sudden, we're seeing Adam Fantilli playing fourth line left wing, and I'm like, "What the hell is going on?" I'm curious to see if that changes and he starts playing the young players. Yeah, if that in was a mandate, because that'll tell me that it was a mandate from the top. If he continues to play these young players in the same fashion he was, he's got to be right after Kekalainen after this season. Like, he's also got to go because that is how you screw up your mm-hmm. prospects. If he, like, let's, okay, let's, Kekalainen's gone. And I, the thing, though, is that Kekalainen and Davidson, they've been attached to the hip forever. Yeah. Like, and. Davidson came from New York, I'm pretty well, sure. Well, Davidson was. In Columbus, when when Kekalainen got hired, then left for New York, then came, came back, back to Columbus. Yeah. So, like, they've been attached to the hip forever. And I'm wondering, I have to imagine that both, like, th- that they both didn't have a say in how they're playing this team and how they're icing this roster. Like, I have to imagine that both of them, can, if if this was a mandate from up high, that both of them came together on it. So, I, I, I don't know if it'll be too different. You know, now that John Davidson's here, like, I don't think that it was only Kekalainen being like, get out of here, John. This is my plan. Yeah. Pascal, do it. Like, I don't think that that was really what it is. But who knows? And if there is a, a significant change, if we start seeing Adam Fantilli get like top six or even top three minutes, you know, if we see David Yerchek called up and actually put in a regular spot, Kent Johnson get more minutes, Cole Sillinger get more minutes, etc. Then we owe Pascal Vincent an apology. If we don't, though, then, then, like, then if I'm a new GM and I'm and, I, and and I'm interviewing for this job and we'll talk about potential like you know maybe like four names that we can 
rip off the top of our head for that. But that like before we even get into salary benefits, anything like that, I'm going like I will not take this job unless I can fire Pascal Vincent. I'm bringing in my own coach. Like I'm bringing every GM in, usually gets every GM should bring in their own coach. I think like it's very I don't and I, and it always works. Like when was the last time that a new GM came in? And maybe there's an obvious example, and I'm I'm gonna get flamed for. It, but like when was the last time a new GM came in? And and inherited a coach and it just went along perfectly and they didn't skip a beat and and actually turns out they were the greatest and it went on forever. (laughs) It's so funny because like everyone points to like Babcock Lamorello. They were hired within two weeks of each other. And if you don't think that Lou was on side with it, I have a bridge to sell you. Exactly. But like I remember in Vancouver, like when Patrick came in, like. That guy tried to push Bruce out the door like basically Uh, within two months. Like the first day. Literally. They wanted talk it like the first time I heard Rick Tockett's name might have been in like trade dead or not trade deadline, like just after trade deadline. So we're talking about March. Yeah. Like this is, it's been happening for a long, it ha- every, every GM, it's going to happen in Toronto. Like, yeah. like inevitably it's going to, Brad's going to want his guy a hundred percent. Like Sheldon Keefe is not going to be the, le- the coach of the Leafs next season. And barring a run. I was going to say he makes it to the third round. He'll be the coach. Of the but Leafs you think the Leafs are going to make it to the third round yeah. this year? Exactly. Like it, it always, the only, the only thing I can think of that unless, would be, unless wall goes Bobrovsky. Exactly. And who knows, man, that can happen. Andrew Hammond got the, got the Canucks or not the Canucks, the senators to yeah. the playoffs with like a 30 game win streak a couple of years ago. Like it happens. But it, the only thing I can see that would maybe buck the trend and it's not going well right now, but I, I just don't see them ever firing this guy is maybe Mike Sullivan and Kyle Dubas. They seem to like each other. And me, I, I feel like it's just like, ingrained roster problems from the past uh, iteration or regime. Yeah. But, but that's not going well right now. No, it's not. And this is going like, it's, it's going so bad that I, every night I see on Twitter, people being like, they should trade Sidney Crosby. That's what I see every night. And so that's how bad it's going. But this is inevitably, this doesn't, inevitably this doesn't work. So it's a shame because Pascal Vincent cut his teeth for so long in the AHL and he was assistant for so long. And it finally seemed like he was getting his shot. And if this isn't his doing, like if this is a mandate, then he clearly got like scapegoated, I guess, or was just the. the but if it is his doing, he's just as bad. If it is his doing, it just makes no sense. Like it goes yeah. against everything that his career has said before. You know, right. like why? Why Basically, would it, you coach one way to get to the top and then you get to the and top then you and ch- you do a complete 180? Like you spend your entire career like built on development. I'm going to be in the AHL. I'm going to be like. I'm going to have great success in the AHL. I'm going to build up prospects. That's my job. And then I'm going to go in and go. And then my first step into the NHL is, an, is as an assistant, which is, again, another sort of developmental. And then the first time I get a, a spot in the top job, I'm going to alienate every single one of the team's prospects and only play like mid veterans. It's it makes no it makes no sense. So that's why I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. But if nothing changes here, like he's got to go. He's got to go. Um, in terms of names, it's tough because what will likely happen is they'll wait till the offseason. They'll wait until Black Monday or whatever you want to call it when teams fire their GMs or fire their coaches or whatever. And and, and there are a bunch of new names hit the hit. The, I can't think really of any GMs that are on the hot seat, though. That's the thing is, like, I'm not really sure how available guys are going to be. What I think will happen is there, there are GMs of teams that are that will be disappointing potentially or there will be like i look at minnesota you know like that whole i i would bet that whole front office is going to dissipate so you know speaking of minnesota i actually think ray shiro might be a dark horse here yeah my old boss yeah yeah him so him and yarmo were really close but him and jd are really close as well 
And I would hazard a guess that Columbus probably wants a voice of experience here. I could see Ray because, I mean, let's face it, Ray's front office built New Jersey, right? Ray's front office built Pittsburgh. Um, and so you look at it, and I could I could see John Davidson going with what makes him comfortable. Now, if I'm not mistaken, Ray is in his late 60s. Yeah. We got a real, you know, Biden versus Trump situation <laughs> in the front office where... <laughs> Sleepy um, Ray out here, it, you know, like it's yeah, like Ray's always been a sharp guy, but like so was my grandfather. <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying that. Put it this way, I would probably prefer Ray for president than the options right now, mm-hmm. given that he's 20 years younger than both of them. Um, but I think he might be a dark horse just because relationships are everything in this mm-hmm. game. That is not that wouldn't be my first choice, Absolutely but it not. wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised is kind of what I'm saying. Every time a GM opening opens up, opens up the smartest thing that, th- that a team can do is to write the biggest check they possibly can and throw it, like literally put it into a catapult, tie a rock to <laughs> in it. In their cannon, in, in their arena. Put it in the cannon, tie a rock to it, and shoot it into the into the house of Eric Tulski. Yes! That is the number one thing that they should do because Eric Tulski should be literally like reversing climate change instead of being in an NHL front office. But this is he the thing that, but this is the thing that he wants to do. So we'll, you know, whatever. Um, and, uh, and he is like well known around the league. It's like the smartest guy who's not in a GM chair. And he's likely smarter than about 90% of the GMs in the league right now. Um, yeah, I would say however, that's a safe yes. assumption. However, he is very happy in Carolina. They have built and they have built something very cool and special in Carolina and, yep. and they continue to do that. And uh, it seems like the vibes in Carolina are really great. starting to to like pick up and come out on the upswing. I wouldn't be surprised if they run away with the Metro. Well, they're always well, a their, their biggest competition to start the year was New Jersey and they don't have a goalie. So that that helps. But also New Jersey's not in a playoff spot. Right exactly. Now, like just it's, to be clear. Yeah. And so uh, it's going to be tough. But. Eric Tulski, he's happy there. And and also like the thing that a lot of people have reported and that, you know, I've heard through just fifth hand information or whatever is that, you know, he I don't think he wants the responsibility in the front facing sort of uh, the front front facing duties of being a GM. He's very happy being the like potentially the company's secret weapon, but emphasis on the secret. Yes. You know, so he's I could see it being a scenario where it's like he's actually running the team and making the decisions. But somebody else is going out and talking to the media. Absolutely. Kind of thing. I yeah. Could, I could see that being a scenario. Yeah. Tolsky is far and away the smartest individual that isn't that is in the NHL that isn't in a GM chair. And he yeah, I would agree with your assessment. He's better than most actual GMs. Yeah. Uh, I think Steve Greeley is another. That's Dallas. Yeah. I think he's either AGM or director of player personnel in Dallas. He's a really sharp guy. He's younger. Mm-hmm. Um. I, I like that. Alexandra Mandricki, yeah. obviously, in Seattle. Um, she's like their AGM and director of research. Mm-hmm. I think she's fantastic. But she might be another one that doesn't necessarily want to be that front-facing, uh, mm. similar to Tulski. And I think a lot of these people, too, like like Tulski, I think, I think they, a lot goes into these front office people wanting to stick around to see the fruits of their labor. Yes. And Seattle, it's, much, like, we've keep, we, it's easy to forget this is only their third year of existence. It takes a, Rome wasn't built in a day. They made the playoffs last year. They knocked off the defending Stanley Cup champs. In Rome the, wasn't built in a it day. It was not. No, 
I don't know. Maybe it was. Yeah. The, the uh, library of Alexandria got burned down. We, we missed a lot we of. We should check out the conspiracy we should, theories we should about that. Definitely check it out. But <laughs> um, that's definitely something we should do on this hockey podcast for <laughs> sure. Um, but I think that there's a lot of these people, a lot of these, you know, ambitious young uh, front office folk, if you will, that uh, they just want to stick around to, to win to win the ultimate prize and then move on. What? Sam Ventura in Buffalo. Yeah. Is another name. He is him. Well, it kind of makes sense because him and Alex were two of the three, along with Andrew, who started uh, War on Ice. Sam, we don't need to have a discussion about how good the Buffalo Sabres moves have been yeah. over the past few years. Like Sam's resume is uh, I mean, very whether, good. Whether or not they translate on the ice lately in terms of a cohesive team, that's not on him. That's on someone else. That's, but Yeah, that's not now, his problem. There, There's a reason why they are consistently getting A-pluses in the draft and free agency uh, mm-hmm. days. Now, they probably need some augmentation so that they can put it together and yeah. um, figure it out. But yeah, they're still a really young team. Like Rasmus Dahlin, I'm pretty sure, is like 22. He's, 20, he's 23. And yeah. that... Like, my sister turned 22 two days ago, and I'm like, you're a child. It's absolutely insane to think of how... Zach Benson can barely sign his own permission form. Yeah. (laughs) For any any field trips they go on? Yeah. Yeah, okay. You know what I mean? Like, he's not even legal drinking age in the United States. Like, if the Bruins want to go to... Or not the Bruins. If the Sabres want to take a trip to, like, the observatory for the day. They have to call Zach's mom. They have to call his mom and and make sure that he's... Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, there's definitely... Young and I could see Columbus when they hired Kekalein and that was an out of the box high. It was right, and we credit them for that. And like obviously, okay, well it went on for eleven years, but I think they deserve some credit for showing that they're not afraid to kind of go outside. Like Zach Urbach, yeah, he did hockey analytics work, but he's also a lawyer, like mm-hmm. a full blown yeah. lawyer. So he's outside of the box. Josh Flynn is he's an AGM. He does their cap stuff, and but he is a really sharp guy. Like, I think he's going to be heavily involved in the next mm. front office because if you notice, probably the only thing that's going right in Columbus right now is their salary cap. Yeah. That's like the only thing they've gotten correct is their salary cap. And so I think he's a good candidate to like stick around. Doesn't mm. seem like he wants to be a front facing guy either, though. So maybe what you need is a guy that can talk. Maybe that is JD. And then you just assemble the Avengers underneath. Yeah, maybe it, it it's it's interesting. Just I don't know. It, it, it's a very it's 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 a really exciting job. Um, but I also think that Columbus, given how like uh, although they've had a ton of coaching turnover, they stuck with they seem to especially under John Davidson. They like to stick with their guy. Like yeah. like Kekalainen got eleven years. It's a Wait, can long you imagine? time. Think about this for a second. We were in high school when he got hired. Yeah, I had, was graduating. Like we were just graduating high school. I was school. buying a prom dress in February yeah, of 2013. Exactly. Like that's like, when like and what, that's when he got hired. Like that's a long time. Man. I don't think so they're going to what I think they're going to want to do is they're going to want to put someone in there who will be there for a while. Like they like they're not, that's why so I think not an a 70-year-old or 70-year-old. Exactly. That's why that's why I I think that they won't put Shiro in there because you know in 3 4 5 years he could potentially go, oh man, I'm too old for this. No. And step down and they have another sea of change here. Like I, I don't think barring a, a, you know, Lou to Dubis mentorship kind of thing, uh, which that's what John Davidson is for. No, exactly. So I think that it's, I think they're going to, they want to get someone who's on the upswing 
and who is willing to be there in and like sort of shepherd their franchise for this foreseeable future. Okay, so Tulski, Greeley, Ventura, Mandricky. And who knows? Like, if it wasn't if it wasn't basically written in the stars that Brandon Pridham's going to be the GM of the Pittsburgh Penguins next summer, uh, then I would say him as well. He, like, they've done great on the no, cap. No, the Leafs are not letting him go anywhere. They will pay him. His contract's up. I'm telling you, they will triple what anyone else will offer to keep him. MLSE is not letting him leave. Not for all the tea in China. Are they letting him leave? So if if he doesn't stay, it isn't because of money. Oh yeah, because they like, have. It's been made very clear that they're like, we will sign. It's not Maasai level. It's close. But it's because they understand how valuable mm-hmm. he is. Well, it's also like it's it's been an open secret that the reason why Dubas didn't name a GM, he named himself the GM for this year, is he was waiting for Prindam's contract to expire so he could poach him. Yeah. And like unless unless look, money really talks, but they really worked well together. So I, I think that it, it, it'll really be a two horse race there between Pittsburgh and, and Toronto, but I think he would be, he would be a great fit. So it's tough. It's going to be weird. Anyway, let's get into our Thursday deep dive. Yeah. We um, just did a half an hour. We did a half an hour in the Columbus blue jackets. blue jackets again. So our Thursday deep dive here, Rachel, is that, you know, I was realized I was scrolling through Twitter and I saw a tweet about how, you know, this is the year that guys who were previously written off as busts, kind of came into their own and these are high picks and there's four sort of top line picks uh t- four top two picks from the last couple of years we need to have a conversation about the, the word bust. the word bust as well maybe we can tie that in but you know we got quentin byfield capo caco alex lafreniere and uri slavkovsky who were previously written off as being sort of quote-unquote busts and and i would still say they're not producing up to the level of a top two pick Byfield now is Byfield now is yes oh yes but I mean like the other three (laughs) but they definitely shouldn't be written off and that gives a bigger sort of conversation here in that when like the acclimation project the NHL is never the NHL has never been better than it is right now I think correct and so that means that the acclimation process for a young player stepping in from junior college overseas whatever is has never been harder and has never been longer. Okay, so when we say bust, this is categorically, if you are a top three pick, you are expected to be a star in this league. Yes. Right? That's that's how it works. So like, Yessi Pugliarvi, by abject definition, is a bust. Teams sacrifice seasons just on the promise so of you. I Yes, we're going to talk about the improvements of guys like Slavkovsky, Lafreniere, yeah. Byfield, Kako, whatever. Here's the thing, though. Mm-hmm. If you are a first overall pick, specifically a first overall yes. pick, and you are not a superstar, you are abject. Uh, you're a bust. Objectively, you mm-hmm. are a bust because a first line or a first overall like pick should be top twenty as a forward in scoring. And we're only going to cover forwards today. Yes, but like. This whole thing of like he's not a bust because X Y Z because he's no. on a forty point pace f- over the last twenty games or something. He, and we're gonna talk about this. They've improved. Yes. But by the definition of where they were selected, they are absolutely busts, and there is no two ways about it. Because until you are a point a game as a first overall pick, 
you're a bust. That mm. it, that it just is yeah. what it is. You are supposed to be the best player in that draft, mm. and you can't even play first line minutes and put up a point a game. That's a bust. Especially where, where like where scoring is now, point per game should be the minimum where you're at. So now, that's where I'm at with the word bust. It's not. I'm not saying that bust in the sense of like he's never going to be an NHL hockey player. But for a first overall pick, if you are not. A top line value player. I don't care if you're playing first line minutes on the mm-hmm. 29th overall team. If you are not a top line value player, which means you are scoring at least 70 points a year, you are a bust. It's yeah. that simple. Absolutely. So Uri Slavkovsky this season played 53 games. Last season was an abject disaster. He got so hurt. last season, his comparisons mm-hmm. were Nail Yakupov. Oh, Alex Galchenyuk. Oof. Oh. Two, so two. Yessi Pugliari. So basically the three biggest busts in recent memory. <laughs> like straight up. That that was the. Yeah. Think about it. Like when people say. Who like are the he three? wasn't Alexander Dagg, but like. But th- wasn't I mean, that, that far off. Dagg was from the 90s. Like I'm talking about like in, in the salary cap era. Yeah. You know, since 2013. Even in, in the post 2012 lockout era, really. Yeah. Like Nail Yakupov, Alex Galchenyuk and Yessi Pugliari. When it comes to top three picks. And you could factor in a couple other guys, but a lot of them, you know, went down because of injuries or other things. Those are the th- three of probably the biggest busts there and are. And then the other one, which like I left out was, remember the first three years of his Perry Kotkaniemi's uh, career? Absolutely, yeah. He was comparable to that as well. Yeah, what, what, is, what is the common denominator? Uh, the Habs. Yeah. Oh my God. Galchenyuk, Slavkovsky, Kotkaniemi. It's the Habs. Oh, problem solved. We fixed it. All right. Podcast over. Subscribe to uh, (laughs) YouTube. No. No, But now he's at a spot. So when you compare him this year, Mm. he's a lot better. Jake Neighbors. That's a 20-ish overall pick. Yeah. Nils Hoaglander. That's a second overall pick. Pavel Dorofeyev. Would you draft any of those guys first overall? Absolutely not. Yeah. So right now. are they NHL players? Much better. Slavkovsky. They're not, not NHL players. But if you're a first overall pick being compared to. Nils Hoaglander, Pavel Dorofeyev, and Jake Neighbors, that's a problem. Yeah, that, that is a problem. But he's shown improvement, and there's no reason to think, because he's so young, like, I have confidence that he is going to continue to improve. Do I think he is ever going to be considered worthy of a first overall pick? No. But do I think he can be a top six player? Yes, I think he could be a top six winger, not on a contending team. Yeah, which is a disaster for a first overall pick. But still, like... Then you get then you get uh, Alex Lafreniere, who was very highly touted as well. Oh my God! Like you were hearing about him since he was fourteen. Exactly, and he gets and the, the Rangers pick him miraculously once again. Another organization that does no idea how to develop its players. Because who are we talking about after Lafreniere? We're talking about Kako. Yes, that's two picks. Yeah. So I back to back years. The Rangers and the Habs are more at fault than. Slavkovsky, Kotkaniemi, because we're also going to talk about Kotkaniemi. Think about all the drafted talent that the Rangers have have, have wasted. Like, I even think about, like, Niels Lundqvist. He was a first-round pick. Leah Sanderson. Leah Sanderson, you um, know? What, who, there was another player as well. That they just, gave like, up on Buchnevich. They you know? gave up on Buchnevich. Uh, Philip Edel is different because he's having injury yes. issues. And he was he doing was well before. Very good. He was doing well before. So I don't, yeah. I don't want to count him. No, definitely not. But, yeah. Like, but, like, that's, like, four... Remember First, Dylan McElrath? Like, yeah, like stuff like that. Like, but he, oh, it's ridiculous. Okay, so Lafreniere, last year and like up until basically the beginning yeah. of this year, his comps were Josh Bailey, 
mm-hmm. Mikhail Bodker, and Robbie Fabry. It's brutal. Like, okay, NHL hockey players. But first overall picks? But Josh Bailey you be out of your mind. Josh Bailey, keep in mind too, was bought out this past <laughs> summer and yeah. was like fifty-eight years old. Uh Miguel Bodker is another guy who people throw the like the bust word around him for. And Robbie Fabry is a guy who was highly touted, but and and is fine as an NHL Do you player. Remember Peter Mueller. Of course I remember Peter Mueller. He was also comparable to him. Yeah, so like oh, fuck. are we noticing a trend? These guys, their their first comparables, their comparables in their early career are guys who have been hit with the bus label. Right. Now, this season, because Peter Laviolette's got it figured out and is actually yeah. playing his young players, Matt Boldy. Hey Yep. Uh Brandon Hagel. That's a that's a middle six player. He just got a he just got a max contract. Like a max term contract. And that's Jesper pretty Bratt. good. Another f- guy who got a max term. All three of these guys got a max term contract. And, and Jesper Bratt, not a chance should he have been available in the sixth round. No, and, and that's He's phenomenal. But th- these are all but very that is good a players. Much better comparison. Like, okay, would I take Matt Boldy with a top five pick? Absolutely. Would you take Brandon Hagel? No. Would you take Jesper Bratt? Potentially. Yeah. So I'd that's think about it. so that's better. This is that's a huge step up. Like Lafreniere was doing nothing. People were wondering. And I think Laviolette deserves a lot of credit. credit. People were wondering if they were even going to re-sign him as an RFA. Like it was tough. Like it, and so he was on the trade block. He was on the trade year. block, and he was a first round pick. Got picked like three years ago. Okay, should we yeah. talk about the other Ranger then? We should talk about Capo Caco, whose comparables were Carl Grundstrom, Tanner Janot, and uh, Magnus Pajarvi Svensson. Not ideal. Tough, but this year, much but better. Much, much better. Jaden Schwartz, mm-hmm. Tavo Taravainen, mm-hmm. Alex Tuck. All reliable middle six players. Not second overall picks. And and specifically, Schwartz and Tuck are power forwards. Yeah. That is exactly what Kako is. Exactly. If Kako can be Alex Tuck, but like a little slower, you're you're thrilled with that. Yeah. You are thrilled Absolutely. with that. And so, yeah, again, not a second overall pick. Cal- like, I would not be taking any of those guys with a second overall pick. But w- would I take them in the first round? Yes, I absolutely Absolutely. Would. So, okay. And I think power forwards, generally speaking, like I went back and I looked at my research from school mm-hmm. and whatever. Generally speaking, power forwards take longer to develop. So yeah. that Slavkovsky fits that. Byfield fits that. Kako fits that. But like not like Rick Nash should be what Slavkovsky like that was the comparable that's I what he's striving to around, be yeah and we're not even remotely no. close to that but like with where Capocacco's concerned like Alex Tuck took a ton of time to develop remember Vegas got him in the expansion draft yeah right he took a ton of time to sort of really come into his own there were two at least two teams that he kind of washed out of. So I left this guy out of the comparables because of all of the stuff that happened after, but it is notable that both Slavkovsky and Kako compared to Jake Vertanen, who was another obscene bust. Yeah. Like brutal. Didn't do anything. Hockey player. Yeah. Right. And now they've got much more favorable comparisons, but that's another guy who has like, Obviously, prior to what facing a criminal charge, yeah, like he was a fourth line player. You cannot have that for a top ten pick. Like, this just does not. You mean doesn't work? Hold on, are you talking about Edmonton Oilers PTO acceptee? Jake Vertanen. Jake Vertanen. Yes. That's okay. Exactly so also, if any of these guys have have had to sign a PTO to extend their career, 
they're a bust. Um, I want to talk Byfield. about. I want yeah, Quinn Byfield. Obviously, his his uh, we have it in here. It's not, uh, Gregory Denisenko, Jake Furtanen, and Yuri Tlusti. Oh, that is not good for last year. For yeah. like pre this season. Uh, now I have a soft spot in my heart for Yuri Tlusti. A because he he he. It looked like he was picking up a little bit in in Toronto, and also B he was just like. There were, a crime was committed against him by the Toronto Sun when he was here. Yes. So I, I, I always will have sympathy for him. But th- now, Quinn Byfield's uh, comparables are Matthias Michelli, who got a very nice contract last year and is very good. Matt Boldy again. And Mason Marchman. Right. Again, not guys you would pick second overall. But that's also because Byfield has been so part of... I have an asterisk on Byfield mm-hmm. because he's played less games than Kako Lafreniere, Slavkowski in terms of like he's been in the yes. NHL for longer. And so the model isn't as accurate with him. And I wanted to say that like the model for his comparisons isn't as accurate because he hasn't played like the sample size isn't as big. Yeah. So when we get to like the end of this season, maybe mm-hmm. what we'll do is like I'll update Byfield because if he I also took a cursory look and I basically what I did is I extended his point like his his play projection over the course of the entire mm. season, then we're talking about like yeah. legit top line players. So this but this bleeds into a point that I wanted to make is that he's the only one out of all of these guys, Pugliarvi uh, withstanding because it only happened this year. But any of, of any of these guys really who have uh, who have played AHL games like and guess who one of the best teams is at developing young prospects? The LA Kings. Might it be LA? Yes. LA and, and Anaheim. <laughs> exactly. But I'm saying this will, and then I want to tie even in. Gonna, we're not even going to do a defenseman one because it's just going to be no, the Anaheim Ducks. Yeah, but <laughs> also we defenseman we can't compare. Like, But what I want to do is I want to look at top two picks from the last couple drafts, and I want to look at their, their points per game and their, and their top end ice time. By, the, by year three. So these are points per game through the first three years of their career. Well, we got to get through a couple more. No, first. I know. But yeah. but like, but what, what we're going to do with that. Um, but Byfield, out of all these guys, is the only guy who who was developed in the AHL first. And the big... He's going to end up being the best one. Exactly. <laughs> and if you look at him, he's taken the biggest leap this year. He seems to have the most upside. His development has been the less stalled. Uh, and... and the biggest thing that we talked about, we we always talk about with Slavkovsky, is how much better would this guy be if they had just let him play in the AHL, let him rip up the AHL yeah. for his first year, even for a bit the start of this year, because it seems like they're kind of stunting him. Like he will, but who knows? He they may- probably should have let him play in Sweden the the year he was drafted. Like Slavkovsky, yeah, they were playing yeah. in Slovakia. Let him go play in the SHL, mm-hmm. then bring him over. Yeah, because I don't know about you, but if you look at the jersey to your left. That guy played in the SHL in the year after he was drafted, came over, and now he's about to get like a $13 million contract. Seemed to work pretty good for Elias Pettersson. Oh, like that. I yeah. thought you were talking about Slavkowski. I'm like, who does he sit next to? And yeah. I, I don't know. But no, like it. it There's that, no shame in waiting. Yeah. This thing about first overall picks having to play right away is nonsense. You need to do what's best for the player. And so that's that's why I wanted to bring that up is that the the acclimation process has changed. The NHL has never been better than it is now. And players are taking longer to to fit in and to hit their ceilings. 
than ever before. Like the, the I would say the top two picks, top three picks in drafts are taking longer than they ever have. Right. It's, there's there's obviously notable exceptions, but like no, but like we're talking about generation. Unless you're right. a generational guy, yeah. Bedard, McDavid, Matthews. Yeah. End of the list. But that's like, and, and that's and we'll we'll talk about that. But like even like it was even relatively rough sledding for Jack Eichel at the start. It was rel- Dylan like Strong. for Dylan Strong. Like well, yeah. Rich Marner got sent back. Exactly. Like stuff like that. It's very, and he was a fourth overall pick, but it's very, for the top two picks, we've seen this is. Okay, but I also think we can agree we would take Mitch Marner over. Every yes, absolutely. Here. Maybe not in the playoffs, but yeah, absolutely. No, so, absolutely in the I, playoffs. I know. I just anyway. Um, but Byfield is the only guy on this list, and we'll keep going. Who who was brought up slowly through the AHL process, and he will likely be the guy who will have the highest ceiling out of any of these guys. Yeah, there's a correlation there. This is this is going to be the new norm, and it should it's it's going to start, and it should start being the new norm. Is teams will not be afraid of. Whatever, if it's a stigma or it's something of picking a guy potentially even first overall who's really raw, like Slavkovsky had had he has great skills. He's, he's he's raw. He's huge. He's got a good shot. He's got he's got a good toolbox, but he's very raw. He has no idea how to put it together. Exactly. Yet. Where do you do that in the AHL? Where do you not want to do that in the NHL in the, one of the most hotly fishbowl type markets where every one of his mistakes will be glommed onto, and then and then Habs fans will be. You know, just basically doing mental friggin' Simone Biles moves to try and figure out to try and make it seem like this guy isn't is not producing under what they wanted him to. Another guy, though, is Patrick Line. And he when he started out. So this is last season, his his comparables, I guess. No, no, no. This was his like the first three seasons of his career because we have yeah. first three seasons for these guys. It was Sean Monahan, Kyle Connor and Alex Galchenyuk. Those are other than Galchenyuk. I don't know how, but although Galchenyuk had the 30 goal seasons, he started out hot. Exactly. Yeah. So that's why he's, so those are good. There. Yes. Now he's Daniel Sprong, Brian Rust, Oliver Bjorkstrand. Now we need to point out mm-hmm. that there has been more at play with Patrick line. Absolutely. Than that meets the eye here. So, we included him because he was a top two pick, but we're not going to sit here and criticize him because there has been so much he's had to deal with. Yeah. Be it a trade, his father tragically passing away. We're not going to be, we're not like, we're not going to be another podcast that makes him feel worse about himself. In okay. Fact, I hope that when Patrick line comes back, he scores 50 goals. Yeah. I literally, I hope he stands there and claps bombs on the power play. Like Dennis Bayak used to call because yeah. that was one of my favorite things in the first few years of his career, I am dying for Patrick Line to come back and like I hope he scores four goals in his first game. Yeah, I've lo- I've always loved watching that guy play. The second I saw that podcast make that comment, I was like, "Where can I donate?" Mm-hmm. Like I-, I could not have donated faster because of what happened. But we included him because he was a top yeah. two pick. But if you look at it, his comparables like Brian Rust plays has played on the top line with Crosby. He's playing with Malkin, which like Malkin is a top line center. Like Mm. he's going in the hall of fame and Oliver Bjorkstrand is on the top line in Seattle. Like he is, that is more than fun. Yeah. Especially when you consider that these are his comparables while he's been going through a bunch of crap. This is probably like just in terms of on ice play based on everything that's going around him. This is probably the worst that Patrick, the worst version on ice version of Patrick line. And those are still his comparables. That's not bad. Yeah. I'll take that. Yes. Yes. He pulled Yarby for the first three years of his career. His comparables are Slavkowski, Owen Tippett and Jake Vertanen. Now Tippett has turned it around. Obviously, this season, but Slavkovsky and Vertanen, two guys, and we I know we talked about Slavkovsky, but two guys who are in that bust conversation, right? And obviously, this year, 
yeah. Patrick Hornquist, Anthony Mantha, and Paul Cotter. And I had to, I had to think about for a second um, who uh, Cotter's first name was. <laughs> so that's so not that's not great. great. Um, and then obviously Cody Glass. He was a very, very high pick. Yeah. Uh, I, Jim Benning wanted to take Cody Glass over Elias Pettersson. Hilarious. That is funny. Um, so his comparables and Cody Glass has faced a ton of injuries. Yes. He has a lot of stuff going on off the ice. Yes. Uh, Isaac Lindstrom, Barrett Hayden, Michael Dalcole. Oh boy! Not great. This year, it's gotten a lot better. Mm-hmm. Rasmus Kupari, Niels Hoglander, Jason Zucker. Not bad. Like, all and, very and productive fair, NHL players. Second, he was a sixth overall yes. pick. All very productive players. Right, and he's really starting to actually find his stride now. So, I think, like, middle six player, mm-hmm. that's fine. Yeah. And then the last one is Jesperi Kokanyemi, who was the third overall pick by, uh, uh, by the Montreal Canadiens. Oh. Uh, he was Nino Niederreiter, Philip Hedel, and Eli Mikheyev. This year, though, he's taken a big dive. Yeah. Uh, Joe Valeno, Morgan Frost, and Ryan McLeod. Oh, Ryan McLeod. Yes, Ryan McLeod. Yikes. Who actually <laughs> has been pretty good in Edmonton. Yeah, be fine. And Morgan Frost has been up and down. Joe Valeno has been pretty good in Detroit. Um. But Kotkaniemi is kind of one of those, like, weird... Like, I don't think he plays the Rod Brindamore style. No. At all. Um, Why did they sign him for eight years? That is another one of those players where simply should not have been in the NHL after they drafted him. Mm -hmm. What are you doing? It is, uh... Yeah. First of all, he's about as thick as I am. Mm -hmm. Like... You're literally putting a child he in looked, the NHL. Yeah. It was it was not a great idea. And if any anyone on this list should have gotten time to marinate, it was it, it was Jesper Kakanami. Yeah. I don't understand why. What we've been we've we've been over this a million times, but I don't understand with the Habs why they would spend the money and the resources and the time and just like the the effort to establish their AHL team in their own backyard. To not use it? To just never use it with players that matter. Well, like, they did it with Arbor Jacki. I'm like, wow. we did. But, once. like, that's Arbor Jacki. Like, all, all due respect, like, he's going to be fine. It's not Yuri Slavkovsky. But what, is his ceiling, like, a number four? Like, it's, you know, like, something like that? Like, he's, Arbor Jacki, there, there's lower stakes on that. Yeah. Like, why would, you had Yesberry. You didn't Yesberry. expend a first overall pick on him. Believe me, when I, like, when Laval first came into commission basically yeah. I it was it was one of my first years covering the Toronto Marlies it was my first year covering the Toronto Marlies I believe um it was my first ever job and I saw that team 15 fucking times that season and let me tell you their rosters were pretty rough like their Ross like it was they could use some young they help. didn't like they they had it they had an AHL team in like name only for to bring guys like Adam Cracknell into it or you know like I could go, like I could go on or have Xavier Willette be the like be the captain Gabriel Dumont exactly like like for some reason they thought we have to have an AHL team filled with like triple or quadruple A guys who are veterans instead of actually using or sending down guys in a meaningful way because they didn't they yes you can say they sent down Cole Caulfield they didn't do that in a meaningful way no. they did that to like punish him yeah it was when dumb. It, when uh, when friggin Dom Ducharme was was in charge then he got fired and Caulfield immediately got got called back up it's stuff like that so now I want to like this this has historically been happening at like a bigger rate uh, in recent years where a team will basically guys who are picked in, in the first or second overall picks 
their first three years have been declining when it comes to points and production and also usage since basically for the last, I would say, five years. And we start with the McDavid draft. Obviously, McDavid had 1.22 points per game in his first three seasons. How did he turn out? Incredibly good. <laughs> Very good. Is he good at hockey? Exactly. And he was. Would and you say he's a bust? I would say absolutely. Um, <laughs> yeah. Bust. Bust David. Um, but like 1.22 points per game in his first three years, and he topped out at 20, 21 minutes and 33 seconds of average ice time McBust. a night. So he was, they were playing him a ton, yep. and he was producing a ton. Jack Eichel, a little bit less, but 0.84 points per game, but he was still getting 20 minutes a night. So teams were and A, using, yep. using their, play, their, their first overall picks a lot, and they're producing a lot. Then there was Matthews. And again, like it's a little bit less based on Mike Babcock, some for some reason not wanting to play guys like that. But zero point nine six points per game in his first three seasons, forty goals, forty goals in his first every year too. Yeah. And and he also was was doing eighteen of eighteen thirty three of average ice time. So that's okay. Patrick Line, he had a great first three years, zero point seven seven points per game, seventeen fourteen in average ice time. But then we start to get the then we start to see the dip because we had Heischer. He, he's the first overall pick in twenty seventeen. I was there. For you were his there, first yeah. Season, Zero, so I can actually give insight into yeah, that. Yeah, 0. 0.65 points per game over his first three seasons. Yep. 18.04 of ice time. So we yeah, start to see the so dip a little his bit. His first year, uh, he didn't actually start playing with Taylor Hall until mid November. It's probably about a month and a half in. And then obviously Taylor went on that obscene. Yeah, where he won. Run. He won the heart. Yeah. And at that point, so he shares one of the best two way forwards in the game mm-hmm. now. But at that point, John, because he was a rookie and he didn't want him to hit a wall because he obviously came from the CHL, we didn't play him on the penalty kill that year, like the way that he was capable of, because we were concerned about obviously like longevity, right? Mm-hmm. You can you don't have to play on the penalty kill in your first year. Yeah. Now he's on the penalty kill. He's like their first line penalty kill out all the time. And so he gets like an extra two, three minutes a game because he plays on the penalty kill. But like. Yeah, like, he sure was never, ever going to be the point producer in the way that, like, McDavid, Eichel, Matthews mm-hmm. were. He was going to be that elite two-way guy, kind of like Barkov. Yeah. And so then we and then we see Jack Hughes, 0.65 points per game. His first season, as you remember, was a disaster. 21 points in, like, 65 games or something. Like, we it was bad. We were saying he should have gone to school. Exactly. He was still, and, and he topped out in 1934. That's another guy who was literally the size of me. Yeah. Then we Zero obviously me. Nolan Patrick had had injury problems. Yeah, so it's not fair. So it's not really fair, but he had 0.35 points per game and, and topped out at 1317. Uh, that was also in Philadelphia and they were a mess. Yeah. So. And then fair. also uh, Andre Svechnikov, 0.68 points per game, 1732. Teams since the McDavid, Eichel, Matthews and even Line, teams so in their their top since 2016. Since basically 2016, teams have been playing their first their first two picks less and teams have been and and also those picks as a result have been producing less there's a correlation between those two i think that there is a relation to talent level as well because like chicago is playing the shit out of bedard when Mm -hmm. he's healthy and apparently he might be back tonight which yeah they're consulting with doctors that's crazy um but then you look at it okay McDavid Matthews have to be removed. Those are generational. Yes. It, like M- Matthews, a generational goal scorer. McDavid is so far and away, clearly the best player in the league. Mm-hmm. So fine. But like Eichel, Line, those are good examples of what you kind of like the point you were making about 
they're being played more. Yeah. Right. Now we're in a situation where I look at it and I go, okay, like Jack Hughes is in that conversation with Eichel for sure. Um, whereas I think like he sure and Svechnikov and line a are sort of like a tier below because he sure from a scoring standpoint, like from a talent standpoint, it goes McDavid, then Matthews. Then I would say probably Hughes. Right. And you look at it and the difference between McDavid, Matthews and Hughes is Hughes was a child. Mm -hmm. Like he still looks like a boy. Yeah. Right. He doesn't have the man strength. Like you look at Austin Matthews and now I'm like, okay, that's a man. Like that's thick. Even when Matthews was drafted, like he was a big guy. Right. And so I think part of it is talent. Like you can't, you can't play guys 20 minutes a night Mm -hmm. that don't have the capability of playing first line minutes in their first year. Right. He sure was more of a protection thing because he was not small, but like he had boyhood strength. Mm -hmm. He was thick, but it was boy strength. Yeah. Kind of thing. And that he really started to come into his own. But he's also not remotely the scorer that McDavid or Eichel or Matthew. Yeah. And and the role that he was going to have to play was more dependent on him having a frame that could keep up with that. Exactly. Yeah. So I think when we look at it, you need to give your you need to recognize and give your players the opportunity but if they're not ready there is no shame in sending them down so like if you look at Shveshnikov for example like Rod Brindamore started him slower now he's on the top line with Sebastian Ajo Mm -hmm. like and that's exactly where he belongs so some guys take longer but I think at the end of the day where we look at it and it's like the talent level is just so much different like the difference between Slavkovsky and Bedard is a chasm. Yeah. The difference between Bedard and pretty much anybody but Matthews and McDavid is a chasm mm-hmm. in terms of first overall pick. So like kind of don't like to use them, but I think you make a great point. No, but they're like, that's if I know that I know that they're, they're generational players, but they were picked in that spot. And yeah. as we see, and, but if you look at non-generational first overall picks, Aaron Eckblad, who took mm-hmm. a bit to come he took in, a while. Yeah. Uh, Nathan McKinnon took a little bit to come McKinnon in and now definitely he's literally took, a psycho. The whole reason why he was making the best contract in the league for so long was because he took so long to come in. Fire your agent. No, but like, but also. <laughs> you should not have signed a contract that long. Definitely not that long. But also like McKinnon was, he was like, a, he scored like 57 points the year he signed that contract. Whereas like instead of, um, like I think these guys, so like a he sheer, a line, a, like they're more comparable to guys who were picked like third, fourth, fifth over, like a Matthew Kachuk, a Brady Kachuk, mm-hmm. like those kind of guys. And so you get ice time in line with that. I think you have to almost like look at the talent level, but at the same time, you can't also sit here and say like, they're not busts for first overall picks. I'm not expecting every first overall pick to be a generational talent. Mm-hmm. However, I am expecting every single first overall pick to be in the neighborhood of a point per game or a top pairing defenseman. Like yeah, Rasmus Dahlin. And I think, but I think that we should also, we should set like, if they're, if they're not at least approaching that by year three, then we can start to write them off, but it takes longer. Like guys. Yeah, absolutely. It takes like, if Slavkovsky is not a point approaching a point per game next year, by the end of next year, we're having a, a exactly. very different conversation. But, it, it, but now like ba- basically the whole thesis of this is that it takes longer than ever for well, top picks. Well, look at what picks. Seattle's doing with Shane Wright. They're like, you're playing in the AHL. Exactly. And that's going to be, I guarantee you that's going to be what's best for his development they tried to pull the montreal canadian slavkovsky thing on him last year it was a disaster and then they decided they, they pulled the ripcord mid-season yeah. and decided to go let's 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 just restart and 
it worked really well. He almost, uh, I believe he almost won a uh, Calder Cup. Yep. You know, it, it was, it worked out well. And, and it will likely exactly work out well. what did with Byfield. Exactly. And, and we need to start changing our perspective or changing our perception of what success is or, or the timeline for success for a top two, top three, top four pick these days. Because either, because teams are... I still think you should be an impact player in your first year, but you don't need to be a point of game. You need to be able to impact the game in your first year. If yes. You're, if you're, if you're, especially if you're a first well, overall pick. If you're a first overall pick and your team opts to play you. Yes. Because I think in Slavkovsky's case, they should have sent him back. Right? Yeah. But if you are a first overall pick and your team is playing you, you need to be an impact player. You have to be. You need to be able you to chip to. in a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And four, Slavkovsky had four goals in 39 games last year. Not going to cut not it. not good enough. He's 11 and like 50. 15. Maybe 10. Well, he is 11 and 56 this year. He will likely end with 15. He's 11, sorry, 11 Five. and 52 or something this year. Five. He will likely end in 15, but that's a good step. That's a great step. So now we'll revisit and see where him, Byfield, Lafreniere, Kako mm. are next season. Exactly. And on that note, we've reached out on the podcast. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, on YouTube, on Twitch, on, pre- Instagram? on Instagram, TikTok, anything. Any podcatcher, we're there. Write us a review. That'll be nice. Um, you can also check out some Mike's Meals for Wine content that we'll have next week. And as always, donate to Jumpstart, our charity of choice. Helps economically disadvantaged children uh, play team sports, which is an extremely, which is a cause that is extremely close to Rachel and I's hearts. Um, all the descriptions will be in the uh, in the bio of this podcast below. So do that, and we will be back on Monday. <laughs>